Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about things like purpose, legacy, love, influence, sex, success, wealth, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review if you've enjoyed what you heard. Subscribe and join the other thousands and thousands of changemakers in our community on Facebook or go to www.mantalks.com for more blog posts, podcasts, and videos from our live event. Today, I have the one and only Danielle Laporte joining me on the Man Talks podcast. And this is going to get juicy. She's just released a new book called White Hot Truth, Clarity for Keeping It Real on Your Spiritual Path from One Seeker to Another. Danielle has a huge, huge crowd, a huge following internationally. And she's been invited to be a part of Oprah's Super Soul 100, a group who, in Oprah Winfrey's words, is uniquely connecting the world together with a spiritual energy that matters. She's author of The White Hot Truth, and Firestarter Sessions, The Desire Map, which is a, a book that's been translated into eight different languages, evolved into a yearly day planner session. Uh, she's got a top 10 uh, iTunes app and is an international workshop program and licensed facilitators in over 15 countries. Her website has been named as one of the top 100 websites for women by Forbes. Millions of visitors go to her website every month for daily truth bombs and what's been called the best place online for kick-ass spirituality. So we're going to have a really unique look into not only spirituality, but the mind of an incredible, incredible businesswoman who has built up an incredible company. Danielle is also a speaker, a poet, a painter, a former business strategist, and Washington, D.C. think tank exec. And Entrepreneur Magazine has called Danielle equal parts poet and entrepreneur badass, edgy, contrarian, loving, and inspired. So she brings the heat. She brings the hot truth in this episode. And we dive into a few different things from spirituality to you know what seeking is and how to answer some of the questions that we have in life like why the hell am I here? What is my purpose? Uh, we talk about relationship insights. We talk about business. And so she really brings some serious, serious value uh, in this interview. And um, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, she definitely mixes the spirituality with the the straight upness of like a Gary Vaynerchuk almost because she's dropping F-bombs and it's amazing. So um, before we dive into the interview, I just want to remind you to go to mantalks.com, check out all the podcasts that we have there, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review when you have a minute because I would love to hear what you think of the podcast uh, and feel free to fire me off a personal message of who you would love to have us interview. We're going to have some exciting interviews coming up about Bitcoin. We're going to have exciting interviews coming up from a few philosophers and we have some awesome interviews up and coming uh, with not only spiritual teachers and relationship experts, but some incredible, incredible entrepreneurs are going to be gracing our podcast soon. So 
Uh, let me know who you'd like to see. And then for the guys that are tuned in the podcast really quickly, go to Facebook and search Man Talks Community. We've got almost a thousand men in our community online on Facebook. It's free. We share lots of insights, tools, and and tips. We talk about investment. We talk about entrepreneurship, family. Uh, so all that happens there. So for the guys, go check that out. And for everybody else, don't forget to go to Man Talks on Facebook and follow along so you can get all the updates about our live events and our community. So, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to have you here today. Mm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. So, as per usual, we like to start off our episodes with a question that, that always leads to some incredible conversation and stories. So, can you tell us, the listeners and myself, a story about yourself, a defining moment in your life that has shaped and made you who you are today? Mm -hmm. Lots of them. Um you know, motherhood is very defining. So <laughs> that's high on the list. Yeah. And there's been a few relationships, you know, that are shaping for better, for worse. Sometimes they shape you and you need to get out and like reshape yourself. But the one that's really hot and salient right now is, you know, I'm in the middle of this book campaign for White Hot Truth. Birthing a book is a two, three, sometimes four year process. The team has gone all out. We've run this gorgeous campaign. We sold a lot of copies in the first couple of weeks. We sold enough copies to not just get on the New York Times bestseller list, but to be number one on the list. And we did get on the list. <laughs> and that, you know, for an author, that's like, you, 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 you not only have you qualified for the Olympics, you ran the race, you won the race. And for political reasons, you know, certain judge didn't like the numbers. Hmm. And so that was a real blow to the team. Uh, we knew how political, how often rigged that system is. I've had similar brushes with the New York Times list before we committed all of our resources to doing this and took a huge, you know, energy and financial risk to like go for it in this way. And we're, we had to, the team really had to recover. It's, it's, it's been really fascinating. Now, how that's defined us, how that's defined me is I'm still the same person, even with failure. I mean, this is a failure. And we can, you know, I can spiritualize it and talk about all the reasons it's divine and how resilient we are. And, and all those things are very true. But let's be really clear. We fucking got fucked on this one. <laughs> and it's just, you know, been a how it's shaping us is we're more committed and we're fiercer than ever to show up as we are with our message, with our truth, with our light, to broadcast in the way that we do it, to continue to tell the truth. I mean, this is the first time I've ever talked about it. You're getting, you're getting a major scoop here, Connor. Yeah, I love it. And, I love it. This is like NPR right here. Yeah. And to continue to serve entrepreneurs in the way that we do and light seekers with a real emphasis on, on feminism and, you know, serving women who are passionate about making difference in the world. So yeah, we're still, I mean, we're still processing, but our capacity to pivot is astounding. You know, we were down for about three days. There were some tears. There was a lot of fuck this, fuck that, <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, 
where are we going? And within 48 hours, we're like, okay, let's dial down to our energy. The team needs to recover. We're going to go to summer hours. Let's shift some of our focus to digital products. Let's continue. I still have stage gigs. I've got like thousands of more people I'm about to go back on the road to do events for. And I'm more in love with showing up than ever before. Mm, that's powerful because I, you know, I, it's so relatable for people who have these situations and circumstances that come up in their life where they're working towards something and trying to achieve a, a goal or an outcome and something outside of their purview, something outside of their control happens and, and sort of not takes away the goal, but makes it so it's not possible. You know, there's, there's, there's just things that are sort of out of our control sometimes. And I think it's great to hear, you know, somebody of your caliber really dealing with this issue, but also talking about it and just being open about it. Cause it's, it is, it is fascinating. It's interesting, the politics behind some of these things that you wouldn't think about. It just, you know, you would think that if you sold the most books, you'd get on the list and that would, and that would kind of be it. But in, in terms of how you, have dealt with this process, I would be interested, and I'm assuming that my interested, my listeners would be interested as well. How did you deal with this process of having something so out of your control come up and, and sort of derail, um, derail the, the, the target or derail the goal that you were all working towards as a team? And, and how do you get back on track? Because I feel like sometimes people get stuck just holding on to what they can't control. So what was, what's that like for you? Mm -hmm. It's really important to go down actually, and like feel your feelings. And you know, there's the actual pain of it and the grief of it and the, the rage and the fatigue. So like, you need to feel that you need to really face the injustices and you, you really need to rest. Like it's really important to stop And then, (laughs) and I mean, for me, that's like three days. That's like, I'm going to sit around, eat some cheesies, just watch Netflix. (laughs) I'm going to do nothing. And I'm going to really accept all the sympathy of my, you know, specifically my industry friends who know this business. And they're just like, wow, this blows. I'm so with, you know, but then, you know, I'm leading a team. I'm leading a team of nine women and one dude and my job in that role is to like hold on to my envision, my vision, my integrity, and to mother them in some ways and to say, everybody, stop, rest. Let's be really clear. We were impeccable in this journey. We played this game better than a lot of people played it. Our integrity was sterling. Our strategy was platinum. We did good. So let's just, we did prove something. We proved that we could move enough books to be number one on the New York Times bestseller list and that we would sustain sales. And more than that, let's anchor into the truth. Like, you know, I wrote something of substance. (laughs) There's no, this doesn't sully for me the actual art of it at all. So that's part, like just being real with the pain is essential. You cannot gloss over that or that, you get bitter and that resentment will come up and it'll, it'll fuck with your strategy in the future. So just like, be really real, be a human, go have some pizza. And then you've got to get back to your why. 
why'd you do this in the first place? Like root into your integrity and your calling and your passion and the love of it. And those things should not be in question at all. Like there's, yeah, we're, we're still the same people. And then be a grown up, really swallow the pill that there is a battle between light and dark, that if you're going to really show up with your whole self, you're going to take some hits. You are going to fail on your way to so-called success. This kind of stuff, no matter what form it comes in, it's inevitable. It's inevitable if you're really going to play. It's like, if you're really going to show up on a public platform, you're going to get criticism. If you're really going to be a bright, shining star with, you know, in a sexy package with opinions, you are going to come head to head with patriarchal, corporate fear-based structured bullshit. And sometimes you're going to lose and you win when you remember who you are and you get back up and you're stronger because of it. You're clearer. Your strategy is sharper. You're more loving and you're not bitter. You're just more informed and more committed than ever. And you do need to call on your tribe. So this is why you need to have your mastermind group and your coaching circle and your girlfriends or, or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, for me, quick recovery time is, is part of the whole dynamic. Like I'm going to go down hard and then I'm back and, uh, I'm back. Then. So, so, you know, like the week after this, we're, it's all reconvening. What's the, what's the new strategy? Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. You know, taking that time and the pause to really drop into just like the thoughts that are coming up and the emotions that are coming up, and just being able to process through that properly. Because I think a lot of us tend to want to avoid that and just either you know move you know move through it instantly or uh, or or try and self destruct a little bit more. But I love your your take on it to just pause and be able to sink into it. And that's, that's the allowing that will move you through it. And you can only pause if you don't have your, your ego over involved, mm-hmm. right? Like the ego is like, push on through, you stay in that kind of fuck them energy. Sometimes you have to admit defeat. And yeah, cause, cause it's the truth. And the truth is what, you know, clarifies thing. It's like, if you're in denial, you're going to continue with that kind of, you know, that brain fog and grandiosity and convoluted strategies. And yeah, you got to be really real about it. Yeah, I, I like it. It's, it's funny because what you're talking about for me really resonates on, on the plane of what I feel like a lot of people go through with breakups, you know, where, where they get they get broken up with or or, uh, you know, a divorce mm-hmm. happens and somebody leaves the marriage. And the other person doesn't understand why it's, it's, it's interesting. I was just talking to one of the guys in our tribe the other day who, uh, you know, just went through a divorce four or five months ago. And it's, it was very similar because he didn't have any control over it. Mm-hmm. And he was holding on to this, like, I got to understand why this is happening. I don't get it. And like, really was just gripping on to this needing to understand. And, but, and that, that holding on to needing to understand why it was happening 
was blocking him from actually dropping down and, and processing some of like the emotions that were coming up. And, and so, you know, that's why I really appreciate what you're talking about, because I feel like it's so applicable to relationships and to our jobs and to our businesses and our friendships and family. Like, it's just, it's, it's almost like a universal when we're confronted with something that's completely out of our control. Mm-hmm. So, so let's, let's talk about the book a little bit because it's, it has done some incredible stuff and I've had a lot of people in our tribe that's I've uh, been asking about it. And I think where I would love to start first is to just talk about what it means to be a seeker, because this word is, you know, it's been coming up a lot lately in in the past couple of years and, and it has been for a long time. But I think that for some people, they don't truly understand what the essence of a seeker is. And so I would just love to start there for you. What, what is a seeker? What makes up and embodies a seeker? Well, I think if you're a seeker, you know you're a seeker. There's no question in the definition. I think the the question is around the the spectrum of devotion. It's like how much of a seeker are you? <laughs> so for me, it's an inner and an and an outer quest. So I want to know how life works. I want to know what love really is. What's the science of love? What's the art of love? I want to know the principles of manifestation. How do you make stuff happen? I want to know how you protect yourself as much as you can from negative forces and how you stay well. I would really like to understand how healing works. So, I mean, that's all you can put that in whatever bucket you want to, but I would put that in the bucket of, you know, that's the, the science and the cosmology of, of creation. And it's really esoteric substantive stuff. Then externally, you know, my search is, I want to create solutions to heal the world. I want to help. I want to play whatever role I can. Just, I want to, let me be more specific. I want to play my role. Just whatever I can do with the talents I have and the desires I have. And, you know, I'm just... I'm just like a chick from Windsor, Ontario <laughs> with, a, you know, a few, a few gifts, you know, and I want to know what I can do to, to make things right mm. in the world. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And and just to give some clarity and background, I think it's, it's interesting because you have such a relatable path from where you were to where you are now, you know, working at the body shop in a retail store and working your way up and then, you know, making the transition into the work that you're doing in the world today. And it was, was being a seeker part of that? Did you just have this sort of insatiable or sort of, uh, unquenchable thirst to just go out and learn and do, and, and then eventually teach? Is that what led you from, from the body shop out into running your own business? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no long answer. Just, yeah, no, that's okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, perfect. Um, so, so let's talk about some of the pitfalls because I've, one of the things that I really love about your book is that you talk about some of the traps that seekers can fall into and not only, not only the traps the seekers fall into, but you also start to look a little bit at the sort of, you know, self-development, self-help industry as a whole and discuss a little bit about how it's really designed. Some of it's designed to sort of 
bring in seekers and and make a lot of money off of them essentially. And so I'm curious if you can unpack, maybe let's just start with the seekers. What are some of the traps that that some seekers will fall into? Because for me, I see a lot of people who, you know, become the self-help junkies. And I would love for you to just kind of touch on that a little bit if you can. Mm. Well, the biggest one is thinking that somebody else has the best answer for you. So this is the lie of authority <laughs> that, you know, you think there are seven steps or there's the way and that the person who's dispensing them for $499, if you take their e-course, has got some idealized life. And yeah, there's, there are, there are lots of, of masterful, closer to whole, beautiful and integrity teachers out there. There's lots of them. And there's lots of imperfect, not so straight up, charlatan people who are just regurgitating other people's wisdom and repackaging it in a slicker way. And they really need you to believe in them. They really need to be believed in. They really need you to think that their seven steps are the seven steps. And one of the indicators of a real teacher is they actually don't need you to buy their stuff literally or figuratively. They're cool. You believe what you want to believe. They're just putting down their wisdom and they're not attached to your buying into it. So that's one of the traps for seekers is there's one way, there's a superior teacher and they are going to, in some degree, rescue you. They're going to have the cure. They're going to have the answer. We need support. We need tribe. There's lots of varieties of pieces of answers out there, but nobody has got the cure for you. So, you know, where I'm at in my own life now is I'm on what's called an input fast. <laughs> and I recommend this for all self-help addicts. You know, in the past I had, I had a coach, I had a psychologist. There was always like a shaman coming around an energy worker, astrology readings. It was, you know, I'd have a psychic read. And then there's all the kind of the divination stuff I would do myself on top of clean eating and yoga and spin class and all of those things. And now I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not down with giving my time and my energy to so much of that. So yeah, you know, I have, a, I have a shrink because everybody needs a shrink. <laughs> and, but I, there's just a lot more space in my life without the input. And the amazing thing that happens when you, when you sort of draw that line, when you take a break from so much input is your mind clears up. And, you know, that still small voice that everybody's been telling you about for years actually becomes really clear. And she moves, she or he moves to the forefront of your mind. You're like, wow, that's really my inner voice. And it's very clearly telling me what to do. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. And so how do we, it's interesting because I just released an article called an open letter to all seekers. And, you know, in there, I talked about my experience with, you know, un unfollowing all the people that I didn't actually follow or unsubscribe from all the emails that I would get that I had signed up for that I never opened and all those pieces. And so how do you how do you and you're doing just fine, aren't you? Yeah, Your life yeah. hasn't fallen apart. No, <laughs> you're still making good decisions. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny, right? Because like, I feel like a big part of it is that people are, you know, part of the seeker nature is, is validation that people are deeply mm. seeking external validation. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, that's the point. Yeah. That's mm. So, so let, let's touch on that. Cause how do people cultivate that sense of validation in their life in a healthy way? Because it, as you just touched on before, it, it, it can show up in this very negative way where, you know, even people in the space that are, that are the quote unquote teachers mm. create this cycle for themselves to get the validation. So how can someone that's listening to this create a life of healthy validation in their, in their life? Yeah. Well, the obvious answer is just sort of a recap of what I just said, which is you stop looking outside of yourself for the answers. So I, I think we can get that conceptually, but fundamentally you have to be doing work that you love. You've got to, you, you've got to be so in love with how you're showing up in the world, how you're making your money, how you're contributing that it's, that's fueling you. And that's, that's, it's pulling you forward. And there's no question about if you're valuable. It's like it, that's, that's the basis. Like if you're not loving it, if you're just kind of half showing up, if you're doing it because your father said you should go to school, um, if you're doing it so, you know, you can get the Baja bench in your place in Yale town, like <laughs> those things aren't, they're, they're not rooted in meaning. They're not rooted in what's real, which is, you know, your love and your energy and your consciousness and your integrity. And so you can easily be thrown off if you're all about the outside stuff. And you're not getting outside approval or you get a little bit of criticism or you don't get the promotion or you don't get on the New York Times list, you are going to go down and you will stay on the same cycle of trying to look good to mm. everybody. And I mean, everybody, we've all heard enough stories. You wake up five years, 10 years, 15 years, you're most definitely divorced you are probably on some kind of antidepressant. You can't feel, you don't, you're not really in your body. Yeah. And so, and so begins the dismantling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it because it's, you know, in, in the book, you talk about how you are the guru. And I think that that's such a huge component because people, and, and this is something I see a lot of you know, a lot of guys really struggle with, I'm not too sure if it's the same, if it's the same for women, I would love to get your insight on that. But for a lot of men, it's, it's that wanting to trust themselves, but, but lacking the connection to intuition and really going into analysis paralysis, getting stuck in linear, logical, rational thinking and, and forgetting that deeper voice that you just talked about there. And, and you talk a little bit about <laughs> in your book, you call it disciple shit, <laughs> which, which, I, which I love that sort of like, you know, follower mentality. So how does someone who's beginning this journey and this might, this might, you know, go back a little bit, but how does somebody that's beginning this journey start to uncover that, that voice? Because it, it's, it's a little bit of a longer, at least for me, it was a longer process. You know, it took a while for me to really start to not only hear that voice, but to trust that intuition or that instinct, whatever word you want to use. So how does one go about that in, in your insight? You should all, everybody listening should desire map. <laughs> you should go <laughs> get my book, Desire Mapping. It, it, this is about, it's all about feelings, all about feelings for women and men. 
is what I call your core desired feelings. And I think, you know, my, my thesis here is that everything you're doing, everything you're doing from the clothes you buy to the people you're in romantic relationship with, to the jobs to you're working, the stuff you eat, all of it, you're doing everything you do because you want to feel a certain way. So why don't you get conscious about how it is that you want to feel? And your, what I call your core desired feelings are your favorite feelings. It's the, your preferred states of being. The feelings you want to feel the most, most of the time. And what happens when you get that kind of clarity is you get clearer on what you're going to say yes to and what you're going to say no to. And you also become a more deliberate creator. I mean, so many of us aren't actually that deliberate with what we're making in our lives. I mean, this is, I mean, the majority of us are really unconscious about how we're going about designing our lives because we're living outside in. So we want to look good and we want the approval. So when you get clear on your feelings, then it's, what am I going to do to feel that way? What am I going to do? Is it this kind of holiday? Is it this kind of job? Is it this tough conversation I have to have? What can I do to feel the way I want to feel in my relationships? How do I need to move my body? What do I need to do with my money? Am I going to say yes to that contract? Am I going to wear that outfit? Everything gets back to how you want to feel. And that is not gender specific. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot because it's it really makes it clear, not only where people can start, but it really brings it back to this this space of your feelings and emotions about a situation often are this are signposts. You know, they're important data if I was to use a more like analytical yes. uh, word, but they're they really accurate. are part of the data. And one of the challenges that I see a lot of guys struggle with is that they, they're ignoring said data. You know, it's like all in the mind and forgetting to tune into some of that, some of that emotional data, which is, which is so important. So uh, I'm, I'm curious in terms of just kind of shifting gears a little bit, what are some of the, you know, in the book, you talk about power tools, you talk about some of these things that, that people can use in order to serve themselves on their pro on their, on their journey of self-discovery of self-awareness of, of finding the answers to their own internal questions. So what are some of the the tactical tools or resources that people can have in their tool belt in order to make progress in their life? Mm. Well, there's the three, which have been discussed for thousands of years now, and there's a reason. <laughs> so it's meditation, it's clean eating, and it's some kind of sacred body movement practice, most commonly known as yoga. It doesn't have to be yoga. And my personal journey is I've had a back and forth, up and down, love and abandoned relationship with all of those things because I thought I needed to do them to be more whole and enlightened and kick-ass and profitable and all of that. When I left those, it was a good idea, but I, I came back to all of those practices on my own terms I found the meditation that worked for me and it wasn't a chore anymore and it wasn't on my to-do list and it wasn't to look spiritual. It was like, it pulled me. I was really let up. I was really nourished. Like it's something I truly love and want to do. And if you don't truly love and want to do 
what is on your your list of so-called wellness and spiritual practices, then you really need to reconsider it. So you've got to, so this is, now I'm going to be a preacher. Okay. So you've got to have some form of meditation or contemplation or prayer in your life. I mean, I could split hairs. I think those are all three, three very different things, but if you are not giving your mind a cleanse, (laughs) it's as important as showering and taking care of your body. It's your most powerful instrument. It's what creates your entire reality. So check in with it, get on it. Sweat. Yes. Work out. Yes. Do whatever you want to do as a physical creature, but you still need to be doing something with your body. And it could be all those sweaty things that is about you connecting with your body, not just conditioning your body and making sure it's your optimal instrument, but like, What's your body's relationship to your higher power? Um, How does being in touch with your physical sensations help you have a clearer mind? How are you using your body as a sacred instrument that? And then clean eating. And this is, you know, this is where the conversation gets a bit political. So for me, clean eating is a plant-based life. And there's, for me, really basic physiological reasons to do that in terms of non-GMO and inf- you know non-inflammatory diet, but there's also compassion and love-based reasons to not consume dead animals. And again, that was a back and forth relationship for me. I was a vegetarian for 12 years. I shacked up with someone who was a hardcore carnivore. I was like, yeah, I'll have a steak. And, and now I am really very firmly headed towards, you know, veganism. So nice and nice. I appreciate that. Well, and, and, and I like that it's, you know, the back and forth that you talk about, because I feel like that's what a lot of people, I feel like that's where a lot of people get, get stuck, you know, or lose themselves is that they're on this journey of, you know, losing weight or finding answers or, you know, getting their finances in order or their relationship and everything's going really well for a period of time. And then they, you know, fall off the wagon and usually it's a very challenging process for them to get back on because there's a lot of guilt and shame mm-hmm. that comes along with that falling off the wagon. And I'm curious as to, you know, in your insight, is the falling off the wagon part of the journey? Yes. That's a really great point about the guilt and shame and how it keeps us from getting back on. I think it's an opportunity. We should use, we should use our falling off the wagon opportunities for two things. One to really question the wagon. <laughs> like, is that really working for us? Are we really feeling more powerful and free and lit up? Because maybe it's the wrong wagon. So there's that. Then also, it's an opportunity for compassion to love yourself more and respect yourself more. It's like, wow, you know, I respect that I was on that wagon, on that path, on that practice in the first place. I respect that I want to get back onto it. And then if, you know, if it's the right practice for you, you just start, you start again, you start the next day. And that's where you really become an intentional creator. And maybe there's more value to it. You know, it's like making up after a fight, you know, and it's, you, there's more sweetness 
and there's more appreciation. And when there's more sweetness and appreciation, gratitude, you deepen your devotion to it. So yeah, no uh, awareness, but no criticism around it. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And how much do you feel like people's sense of, of longing to be special or specialness gets in the way of their, of their growth, whether it's growth spiritually or, you know, mon even monetarily, I think, you know, oftentimes, cause like in your book, you, you touch on it, you say you're special, but not that special. <laughs> and, and I, and I loved, I loved when I saw that, like, I literally, I shit you not, I opened the book and I looked at the, uh, at the glossary and I saw that and I went straight to that, straight to that chapter. I didn't like, I, I went back and obviously read the book after, but, but I went straight to that chapter and I was like, isn't that great? You know, like, isn't that great? Because how many people are in their own freaking way because of their desire to be special or seen as special. So can you, can you just unpack that for us a little bit, please? It's killer. And it creates such obstacles for us. And it, and it actually, you know, the irony is it blocks us from everything that we actually want. <laughs> so it blocks us from someone who we really respect and connect with, could connect with on an intimate level, not necessarily romantically, but, you know, a teacher or a peer to say, to look at us and really see us for who we are and say, you're special because of this and you're amazing. And, and I see your talent and your love. Us wanting to be special is a sure way to not have that happen. Because when we want to be special, we could lean towards arrogance. And that's a bitch. That creates a lot of division between us and everybody else. We will be always, if we're looking for reasons why we're awesome, we will always be looking for reasons why everybody else is not awesome. Mm. why we're better. And that's a big divider. And it's what the Buddhists call the hungry ghost. You will never have that itch scratched. The ghost can never be fed. It's always starving because you just, you can't get the validation from outside. And the reason I bring this up in White Hot Truth in the context of you know, personal development and the spiritual spirituality space is because I'm so tired and I've, I've been this person of people who are trying to be more spiritual than everybody else, the people around them. Um, they meditate longer <laughs> and they've been hanging out with a certain guru. So they have entree. So they must be special and look at the, I mean, the yoga, yoga is so fucking out of control in terms of it being this status symbol and this show. And, and this is where discernment comes in. Like, you know, I have some really dear friends who are true yogic masters and they're on their Instagram feed doing crazy, ridiculous poses. And I've had this judgment towards them. I'm just like, dude, are you really helping the yoga movement, because those are actually terrifying, dangerous moves that most of us can't even relate to that we'll never get our bodies to in this lifetime because you've been practicing in this really devoted way for 20 years. Now, discernment, which all comes from the heart. Now I'm able to look at some of those people and say, this is a gift you're giving. And this is you being the brightest you. And this is you being a loving master. 
I'm down. I mean, one of those people for me is Ian Finn. All the right reasons. I mean, he's, he's love. Lots of other people, they're just fucking showing off. And they want to be special. And it's, and it's divisive. It's not, there's not an inclusive energy. So, I mean, my point here is you can see the same kind of representation, the same branding, the same pose, whatever it is, the same meditation. But you ha we have to be looking with our hearts underneath the brand to feel into people's motivations. And some person, some, some people have the motivation to be special and superior and get that adoration to feed them, feed themselves. Other people, pure love, all about connectivity. They're, what they're really saying is, I can do this. What can you do? It's a really big difference. Yeah, I, I like that. And I think just it kind of segues great into into what I wanted to talk about next, which is just because we're going to be wrapping things up. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about next was how you kind of end the book about or close off the book about discernment and how important it is. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can unpack a little bit around why discernment is so important for people, because you see a lot of spiritual teachers, uh, you know, out there. One of my favorite is a man named Anthony DeMello who wrote a book called Awareness. And in there, he just talks about how awareness is one of the keys to spirituality and how spirituality is just waking up. It's just the process of waking up. And that awareness is the key in, in order to do that because we naturally don't want to wake up to our own reality, to our own thoughts, to our own judgments. And I feel like there's a little bit of an alignment there. So can you unpack why discernment is so important and, and maybe how to implement that discernment in our lives? Mm. Do you want to be awake or do you want to be asleep? Do you want to see clearly? Do you want to be blind? Do you want to fall for shit or do you want to know what's real and true? I mean, this is essential. Discernment is consciousness. Discernment is real power, not bullshit leadership, real power. You know, so much of our pain comes from not being discerning. So it's all these really excellent points that you've brought up. Like, you know, wanting to be special affects your capacity to see clearly. Wanting permission from somebody else affects your, your own self-agency. So we've addressed all those. So how do you get more discerning? You have to walk your own path without excessive input, without excessive directions from anybody else and spiritual you know this brings us back to the top of the conversation spiritual maturity is knowing that some things are so unfair and unjust and painful and actually some things in your reality might right now might be impossible and your maturity is that you're going to show up anyway this is what devotion is, right? Like once you have the discernment and you can see things clearly, then you have to up your ante to how devoted you're going to be to your causes and your principles and your love and your morals and your ethics. And that's my definition of full circle and wholeness. Like are you can do the right thing anyway. Are you going to do yoga? Any, even if it doesn't make your ass look as great as you want it to. Are you going to 
donate some money, even though you know, like might pinch you a bit? Are you going to speak up even though you might get fired? Like how, how far will you go to do the right thing? Mm. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, uh, it's so good. Cause one of the, you know, one of the things that you say that I feel like just encapsulates exactly what you're talking about is, uh, and I highlighted this is call bullshit when you need to and keep it classy. And <laughs> I, I feel like that's just, it's just like, so it's like call bullshit, not, not just like, not just bullshit in your work environment or bullshit in your relationship, but bullshit, like call bullshit on yourself. You know, that, that actually like, that's kind of like the new age spiritual path is just being able to call bullshit on yourself and, well, and being what able to, what does that mean to you? Being able to call yourself out for when you're out of alignment for when you're maybe when you're exaggerating the truth or you're lying or you are committing to things and you're agreeing to things that are outside of what makes you whole and happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Call, um, I don't know. I want to rephrase it because it's not necessarily bullshit. It's, it's, um, I mean, really, I mean, call yourself on where you're not respecting yourself. Mm. Yeah. Call disrespect. Mm. That's really good. Really good. All right. Well, uh, I feel like I could interview for you for hours and hours and hours and, uh, and just stay in the, in the church self-improvement as you, as you talk about, but, um, we're going to have to wrap it up. And so for all of the listeners out there, uh, we'll have the links in the bio, but just where, where can, where can they find you? I'm everywhere, darling. I'm, uh, Instagram is the center of my universe. So everything I put out into the world somehow goes through Instagram, Danielle Laporte, my site, daniellelaporte.com, Facebook fan page, you know, you know, I'm there. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. And so just to kind of cap things off, um, I put a post up on Facebook and, and asked a bunch of people in our community and put it out to our social network uh, for some questions. So are you ready for some tribe rapid fire questions. Oh, I love rapid fire. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So from Avi, I got, does your relationship with people and life in general change as you evolve and as your personal truth changes? I don't even know what that question means. The answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, my truth, I could get super esoteric on this. My truth doesn't change. I just keep revealing layers to what's already there and fundamental. And as I see more of what my truth is and who I am, of course, yeah, absolutely, it changes how I show up. I mean, I would say the most distinctive change in the last, say, five years is I'm much softer. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I get, I get softer and more fierce at the same time. Mm, I like that. Uh, from Aaron, I got a great question around uh, strategies or insight into how to separate selfish wants and desires from true passions and goals that fill the soul. Well, I don't know. I would say you need to break down what you as an individual think is selfish. Why is it selfish? Is it, I mean, sometimes we label the material things as selfish. And that's an interesting conversation because, you know, is it, selfish of me to want Sonos speakers in every room of my house. Mm, no, 
this is the temple I want to create. It's not hurting anybody. Is it selfish of me to want to get paid more than anybody on my team? Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Is it selfish of me to want to live an over-consuming, hyper-materialistic life? Yes, because it's sucking resources that need to be conserved. So I would, I think, I can't answer the question. I just say break down your definition of selfish. Mm, but I nice. should go back. I should go back to my trivial example of surround sound and sonar speakers. There's so often pleasure and um, not materialism, but material abundance in the self-help space is seen as unspiritual. Mm. And I'm just, I'm not down with that at all. I mean, I don't want to live an excessive life, but I want to have the means to, yeah, have a lot of comfort in my life. Mm. Yeah. It's very similar to what nonprofits often face or companies that are doing social good, right? Like the, the profit actually scales their impact, but they often feel challenged by creating that profit for themselves as, a, as an organization or a company. And I feel like it's very similar in the spiritual space where, where people struggle with that, having abundance and feeling guilty about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could go on about the non, how broken the nonprofit model is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll hold that one for a different mm -hmm. interview. Um, I got Dan here. He, uh, first off, he just says, thank you for the work that you do. Um, and his question is as your, as your public profile grows and you put more of yourself out into the world, how do you keep your ego in check? And what does that, what does that look like? How do you identify those subtle ego tendencies? Um, and, and just basically how do you not fight it, but, but work with it? Mm, great question. I'm in touch with why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so I feel really, I feel devoted. I feel clean. My intentions are clean. And yeah, that helps me not turn into a prima donna about things. I'm also really aware of what it, I'm more aware than ever about what it takes to do what I do. And I have, I, I don't make any apologies in asking for what I need <laughs> to do what I do, which sometimes means, you know, I need the best flight. I need a decent hotel room. I need some space. And that's not ego. That's just like basic self-care when you're on a certain track. And I, I think that one of the best things I do is I share my platform and I really honor the other people in this space. So I don't need to be the only one on my stage. And I hope that's evident in my social media stream. Like I am really committed to promoting other people, very often women, who are, well, actually it's probably equal, men and women, who are doing positive things in the world. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Uh, last question I've got from Mia. Uh, what's one of the most powerful ways to take relationships to the next level of connection? Mm. Well, I mean, I want to say tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so sweeping in general. I think there needs to be a semicolon after that. Tell the truth in the most compassionate way you can without expectation of getting what you want. And let me tell you, this is next to impossible to do, but try and do it anyway.
I love it. I love it. There's a, there's a hashtag truth bomb right there. I like it. Uh, so Danielle, thank you so much again for, for being on the man talks podcast. I really appreciate it. And I know that our listeners, uh, have enjoyed listening to you as well in the conversation, um, for everybody else out there listening in, in man talks land, join us next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Mm-hmm.